0: hard question but we don't have any Kenny Rogers fans do we There's we know who he is and you know which song he sings Merle which which is the one that I would bring up today though of most No No that's uh, that's tonight's sermon is the gambler This uh, this morning's sermon is on on Mary and so he has that song Mary did you know and if you walk through the gospel of Luke, particularly with, with the story of Mary, it sort of becomes plain that Mary knew a lot of this stuff as the angel visits her and talks to her and, and is revealing this plan to her. And, and the notion that Jesus dies a painful death Well, later in this story, somebody says to her that a sword shall pierce his heart and shall pierce yours as well. That's in Luke 2. So, Mary, did you know? Apparently, Kenny Rogers is not a fan of the Gospel of Luke because the answer would be it seems like she knows a fair amount of this information unless she has a bad memory or something. So, that's one of my uh, favorite Christmas songs, and that it's beautiful, but also one of my least favorite Christian songs is that it, is it gets inside our heads and think, man, Harry didn't know anything. Now, if you read Matthew and John and Mark, there's not much there. But if you read the Gospel of Luke, there's a lot there. Now, this morning, as I've said, last Sunday, we talked about John the Baptist. And it's easy to talk about John the Baptist because nobody thinks you're going to end up um, bringing petitions to the Pope and saying Hail Marys and all this when you talk about John the Baptist. But I think Protestants have this particular struggle when it comes to talking about Mary. We don't talk about very, very much. And I think it's because we think if we start talking about Mary, we're going to end up in this place of, of Catholic worship. And we're going we're gonna to begin to see that Mary is this um, perpetual virgin, which it doesn't tell us that in the scriptures and all this stuff. And so we sort of just stay away from it as a whole think that's unwise, but I even noticed in myself as I was trying to pick images for the bulletin and, you know, I occasionally have one up for the sermon, I was like, oh, that's a great picture of Mary, but is it a little too Catholic? And as somebody who's been accused of being maybe too Catholic, let's say a lot, even though, I mean, should meet some real Catholics if you think that of me, um, there's that always that fear of like, oh man, I don't want somebody to turn off because this seems Catholic. But in the first two chapters of Luke, particularly, we have this story of this woman named Mary. We have this story of, of what Mary knows and how she is visited by angels. She's called favored twice. She's called blessed twice. She is blessed among women, it says, that God has looked upon her and seen her. All these things should make us more conscious of, of learning about this person. And now, as last Sunday, I I pointed out that John the Baptist has this um, way of being sort of a paradigm or a typology for Christian discipleship. John knows that he is not the light, but he bears witness to the light. Mary, in her songs that we sang and heard from this morning, Mary, in her text, what she actually does and knows of herself is that she points to God. Very nowhere does Mary sort of say that this is great for me and I am am blessed, but she's always pointing towards the God who has done this. Mary sort of through and through is always bringing us back to God's activity, God's way of being there. What does Mary's soul do? Mary's soul makes large the Lord. So if we were to talk about Mary, as, a, as not as sort of this, this mother of God and who we come to with this sort of reverence and sort of get close to worshiping her, but not quite that close. And depending on which type of Catholic you are, that would vary. But if we talk about her as this woman, this picture of Christian discipleship in the same way that we talk about John the Baptist, we might actually find that new pathways are open to us. And so this morning, what I'd like to do in, is sort of walk through Mary's story here as it appears in the Gospel of Luke, just in the first um, first chapter, really. And then tonight we'll pick it up again. But one of the things that the theologian Dallas Willard used to say is it's actually familiarity that breeds infamiliarity. It's familiarity that breeds infamiliarity. And it's infamiliarity that breeds contempt. I think if we were to break down the Christmas story, to think about the Christmas story, we'd find that there's our familiar with, familiarness with it has actually bred in ways in which we are unfamiliar with it. We know all these things about um, this sort of story, but we don't quite know the story the same way we know other things. I mean, if you were to have a visitor from another country, and this this happened when I was leading youth group, um, one of the families would always have a, a student from some other part of the world, and they were always baffled by Christmas. I mean, some of them were Christian, some of them were not, but they were like, your whole society reorients around Christmas. You've set up everything, and why is this? And of course, you know, well, has to do with shopping, has to do with food, has to do with time off. Uh, the postman gets a day off, two days off, it has to do with a lot of this sort of holiday matrix. But when you, when you get down to it, when always we explain it to them, they want to be like, yeah, but what's the ritual you're celebrating? And we would tell them, well, it's about a homeless uh, mid-eastern couple. She's pregnant around the age of 12 to 14. He's an older man, and they're betrothed to each other, and they're walking through the Middle East, which is still a, a, it's a tense reason then, which is odd to say because it's a tense region today as well. That that's sort of this story that we have, is that we have this story of someone who's approximately you know, 12 to 14 years of age and visited by an angel. And before that, even, we have this story of a woman who's barren. This is the story of Elizabeth in chapter 1. And what happens when, when this angel comes and visits Elizabeth, she is opened up to having a child. Is old, not as old as Abraham and Sarah, but she is old and beyond age. And if you're a first century Jew, first century person reading the Gospel of Luke, you would go, we know this story. This is a story that that uh, Hannah has in the Old Testament. This is a story that they would have been familiar with from the Old Testament. Um, somebody who believes that they've been shut off from the futurehood of children. And what happens is, is that God, an angel visits them, and that opens up a space for them. Zechariah, funny enough, laughs when he is told and can't speak throughout the pregnancy. But this visiting of a virgin, and, and like I said, if you were to, to study this Greek word that's used to describe Mary, it would say that she's about 14 years of age, 12 to 14 years of age. Calvin, when he talks about this, John Calvin, he says that all these things are stored up in the heart of a teenage virgin in a nowhere place in the middle of the Middle East. In the middle of nowhere, a teenage virgin, most often she would have been, at this age, sort of sequestered off so that she would be ready to be betrothed to Joseph, which is what Luke tells us. That she would sort of be hidden from the world, and so this angel appears to her to reveal God's plan for humanity. Now, I know that there are people who struggle with with the virgin birth, and I think that there are probably right reasons for that in some ways, but but this story contains an extreme amount of crazy before you even get there. God is going to take residency up in the world. God is going to visit and repair the world, and his plan, first off, is to meet with a 12-year-old girl who has no life experience. We have no record of her family being wealthy or or accessible. We don't even have that much of an idea that this is a pious 12-year-old. When the angel comes to her and says that you've you've sort of been, uh, you're favored, and God has seen you, we have some sense that Mary's an exceptional girl at 12. But God's plan to prepare the cosmos, to begin a new creation that sets everything to right, begins with a 12-year-old girl. That's, that's a um, we would say, not a good idea um, in some ways. And yet God is always taking these things that seem to be in last place and changing them. And from here, you can even see the story going to that God goes to death on a cross, that God takes up residency in the world and sort of travels around as an itinerant preacher, revealing and teaching and healing. All of these are, are big things, but then we have in Luke this story of Mary in this sort of backwards place, Bethlehem is what they would have said. Um, And it's the house of David, but it's been long abandoned, sort of the house of David, this lineage from which the line of the Messiah will come. And so what happens is this angel shows up to Mary and he says to her, and I'll go to my Bible because I don't want to butcher it when, when I try to do it from memory. He visits her and he says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What I partially love about this story is it just makes sense. An angel shows up to her and says, Greetings, you are favored by a Lord. And it says to us very clearly that Mary was greatly troubled by these words greatly troubled by this appearance. I think this makes a lot of sense. Now, this is one of the things Matt's perpetual pet peeves. You learn a lot about Matt during the holidays, things that annoy him. But our angels, nobody would be terrified of the angels we put on cards or give out or that precious moments makes. But every angel in the Bible consciously needs to remind people, don't be afraid when they appear to them. Now, the the phrase that we have, and if you're from the South, you know it as Lord Almighty, uh, Lord Almighty, can also be translated the Lord of Angel Armies. I don't know what that means particularly. You know, you'll get pastors to be like, so angels are like the commandos of the universe. And it's like, that might be a stretch as well. But angels are certainly part of this angel army that God has, and angels are most likely whenever anybody meets them are terrified every time i see oppression's moments angel i am not terrified i am more likely annoyed and i wonder where do you get these things and how do they multiply so fast and take over so many places and and become what this is whereas the angels that we find in scripture are angels of power And so Mary was greatly troubled by these words and wondered what type of greeting this might be, keeping in mind that she's 12 to 14. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. But to this point, it might be making some sense. But then he goes, he says, He will be called, he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel comes and promises to Mary that her her son, the son that she will bear, is one who will rule over the, the, the lineage of Israel and that his reign will never end. That he is the promised one of israel It would be shocking news to a 12 to 14 year old i would assume shocking news to just about everyone that this is where god has chosen to take up residency in the world mary being wise at this moment says how will this be which is a great question how will this be how will this come to pass She follows up with with a different question, since I'm a virgin, too. How will this be since I'm a virgin is what Mary wants to know. And this presses the text for us to say, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary Mary asks the question that we would be asking, too. How will this be with a young virgin? But the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God phrase that the angel uses here that this god will come over you that god will reside over you is the same type of greek words that we would see them using for the temple the way that god's spirit hovers over and resides in the temple many christians are aware that if when jesus comes among us he comes as a moving sort of tabernacle or temple The Gospel of John, when it says that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, uses the phrase, the same Greek phrase that would be tabernacle. That what happens is is God tabernacles his presence among us. And Mary, as the bearer of this one, is the first person to have this presence overcome her, to overtake her. This is the moment in in the time in which God is sort of preparing a place for him to come into the world. Now, this is an observation that that I think i meant to end with, um, but I think it's so great, is that one of my theological muses, Karl Barth, when looking at this phrase, he said what we're actually looking at, what we're actually looking at here is not that a virgin is about to give birth, as much as we are looking at an act of creation. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, God's spirit hovers over the water. And out of the water, he calls forth land. Many different things. What we see happening with with Mary, he says, is very clearly or very, uh, looks like God doing creation. More than a miracle in that a virgin is about to conceive, God is doing a creation the same way he did the first creation when he makes Jesus. He's calling forth something out of the waters and to create new life. And so when we think about the miracle of Jesus coming amongst us, it's not just a miracle that a virgin is going to give birth, it's a miracle akin to that of creation. That God's Spirit sort of brings order and creates something and draws it out into the world. That this is a miracle that goes beyond sort of just what we see. The angel continues to tell her, even Elizabeth, your relative... And as Mary would know, in her old age, and she has been able to conceive, in her, is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. One of the ways in which Mary will go on to call herself blessed, I think, is she is one who believes that no word from God will ever fail. It's a This season, this time in our lives, I think it is a challenge for us to be the ones who say and see that no word from God will ever fail. God has given us so many promises throughout the Psalms, throughout the Old Testament, through the book of Revelation. And to be the people for Defiance Church, for us, for communities, to be the place where we believe no word from God will ever fail. This is where Mary can become more of that typology for discipleship for us. And Mary's response to this I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may it be according to your word, is a sign of great faith. Some of you might know this as I am the Lord's handmaiden, is another way we phrase it. I am the Lord's servant, and may it be according to your word, is a phrase that I think we would do well to remember in our own discipleship jerseys. Now we can, we can sort of look at this Mary thing is that there are three historical figures in the Apostles' Creed, if you know it. This is one of the, in the third century when they get together to decide what are the core tenets of the Christian faith. They th- come up with this thing called the Apostles' Creed and it's about eight things, but there are three historical figures in there. One is Jesus, one is Pilate, which is weird, and one is Mary. What I think that these three figures or the two figures that aren't Jesus can call out for us is what does it mean to say yes to the word of God, to being a servant of God, and what does it mean to say no? He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. That when God's presence comes into the world, when Jesus has taken up residency here in the world, we actually have sort of, I mean, you you hate to make it, so black and white, although the Bible never hesitates to do so, you kind of have two options. You can be like Mary. You can say yes to God's presence in the world. Here I am a servant of the Lord. You can say no and attempt to put out the light of God in the world. Now, here's one of the, the deep, hard, and I think troubling parts about it, is that humanity is the no people. In our sin, in our distance from God, almost all of us, or maybe all of us, are no people. This is the crowds that chant, crucify him. His disciples, even though they're like, maybe don't do it, abandon him, everybody leaves him at that moment. John's gospel, you have... Uh, mary stays around and some other people stay around but for the most part there is nobody left there to defend him so this 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 sort of movement that mary has to say that i am the lord's servant yes to what god is going to do is a huge thing it ends up in that she represents the yes for us in the creed and for in our lives After this moment, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth says to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you are bare. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fill her promises to her. Blessed are the people who believe that the Lord will fill their promises to them. I think. One of the phrases here, "Blessed are you among women these are these are phrases that, if you were Catholic, you would know very well, but as Protestants, like I said, we tend to skip over them. But one of the things I love about this scene is the way that elizabeth 's body responds to jesus' coming, what 's in her body, that it creates some joy within her kelly there 's this uh, video we used at our last church for Sunday school. And they have sort of the two, they do like this, they're cartoons. I think you have seen it, maybe Hannah and Marley, with with the two babies and sort of in utero, and they sort of like jump together inside their mothers. It's an interesting way to portray it, that there's something with these two already that binds them together. And so Mary stays with her for a time. And the last thing I just sort of want to end with is this song that Mary sings. My soul glorifies the Lord. My soul makes large the Lord. My soul is something that that creates space for the Lord. Now, people like when you use a um, uh, illustration, bring something physical up. I couldn't find a magnifying glass. Uh, I don't people. I don't know what era where people used magnifying glasses a lot, but but I certainly don't have one in my house and. Last night at 7 o'clock was not the time to be like, Kelly, do we have a magnifying glass? No, why? Um, but if we were to think of a magnifying glass, if we were to think about Mary as sort of this paradigm for Christian discipleship. My soul can magnify the Lord. My soul can magnify lots of different things. My soul can magnify the Denver Broncos. My soul can magnify um, my wealth, my house. My soul can magnify my ability to provide for myself. My soul can magnify my perfect family, my perfect life. My soul can magnify so many things. But what does it mean for us to become people whose souls magnify the Lord? To have our lives and our hearts and our places within us be places in which the the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, the God who has visited his people, is magnified. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary's prayer names the mighty works that God has done and that God will do through her son and through her people. And the last thing that I would sort of name for this is that that Mary knows, one, that salvation comes from God. This whole story is about how salvation comes from God. There's this line in Galatians where Paul says that Mary was, that Jesus was born of a woman and leaves off the man part. Obviously, although Paul doesn't talk a lot about it much, he probably knew that there was no physical father for Jesus. But I think he also knows that if we had done this, we would take credit for it as humanity. Joseph and Mary would be people who we'd look up to and aspire to, and they would almost take the place of Jesus because we would think we were so creative in the way that we paired these two together on The Bachelor, and they have brought us forth one who saves us. But I think this story is about how this all comes from God. Well, Mary is involved here and she says, yes, it's important that we remember that Jesus takes up full humanity when he comes. So he comes through the birth process, but salvation comes from God. And the last thing is that Mary proclaims this great leveling. I think that there's two ways to sort of read her passage, and I think what she's actually saying is that there will be a leveling. The hungry will be filled and the rich will be sent away empty. I don't think means necessarily that the rich will be, um, the rich have, the rich don't need, so they're sent away without this new thing. The people are taken off their thrones, and I think that there's a way in which this is a true statement for us in some ways. I mean, by virtue of being in this room, by virtue of being born in 21st century America, there's no, like, nobody in this, I mean, to the extent to which one of us is more wealthy than the other of us, and the grand schemes of the thing in the world, we're all the 1%. We all have access to clean water. We all have education. We all have uh, grocery stores that are stocked fully. The rich is obviously all of us. But I think what Mary is proclaiming for us is the ways in which we can resituate ourselves to see things as a gift from God, to not be proud in our own most thoughts, to not think of ourselves as the one who are on top. Because like I said, what I think is happening here, and we'll see it in John the Baptist more, is that what is being proclaimed is a leveling. It's not that the rich will now be put on the bottom and the poor will rule over them. That would be like a, a karma-like system, Christianity is a grace-like system, and so it's not that there's this sort of like, well, now you are, are the slaves to these people. That's the great reversal that's coming. That's not Christianity. What Christianity proclaims is that there'll be a leveling and so that we all have this ability to walk forward to who God is. And the things that inhibit people from doing that sometimes are sometimes being low, Although if you read the Gospel of Luke and and most of the Gospels, being low actually enables you to see where God is in the world. But the other thing that can inhibit it from seeing that is being high. This doesn't mean just uh, whatever you think it might mean. Any ways in which we set ourselves up to think that we are self-sufficient and that we are fully reliable, that we are the gods of our own little kingdoms, It makes us hard to see who God and who Jesus is for us. But Mary is one whose soul glorifies the Lord. So may it be with us as well. Let us pray. God, you have visited your people. From your visitation, we've come into existence as a church here. Defiance Church is something that stretches from this story of a 12-year-old and a visitation from an angel, one who was blessed among women and has found favor in your eyes. She also represents for us what it means to say yes to God, what it means to find life in him. While she is blessed, this blessing comes as a cross-shaped blessing. This time she would be ostracized for her pregnancy out of wedlock. And this time she would be considered unclean as one unworthy of marriage, and yet she welcomes this blessing from you. She's told later that her son will be pierced, and a sword will pierce her heart as well. This story leads to the cross as well. Allow us to store these things up in our hearts and in our souls. To magnify who you are for us. Amen.